Welcome to The Growing Edge, a podcast where we're exploring how life always invites us to grow into new challenges, new adventures, and new opportunities. I'm Parker Palmer. And I'm Carrie Newcomer. And you're invited to join us here, growing toward the light even in times of darkness. To the words and To us and how we live between the words. Well, Parker, I'm so excited to begin this podcast and this series of conversations with you. Um, this whole project has been the result of you know many conversations that we've been having over the years. I'm excited too, Carrie. I've often wished that in those hundreds of conversations we've had, we could engage more people as if we were in a a big circle passing the talking stick from one hand to the next. Mm -hmm. That's not possible, but I'm hoping that we can move in that direction with our retreats, our online conversations, and this podcast. You know, when we launched the website in June, uh, we started with a question of the month and uh, invited people to join a conversation on our conversation page. Uh, and it's been just amazing the kind of response and the really thoughtful responses that have come about on that page. I'm so glad we decided to do that um, and so grateful for all the people who've chimed in on that conversation page, commenting so personally and vulnerably on their own experience in relation to the questions that we're raising. So today we'll be introducing our August question of the month. So here it is. As we look toward our own growing edges, especially in hard times, many of us find ourselves torn between hope and hopelessness. How do you understand hope? What have you learned about holding to hope even when things seem hopeless? Or do you agree with folks who say that hope can be an obstacle to dealing with the present moment? I would love to turn that question now to you, Parker. You know, how have you held this question? How have you experienced the question in your life journey? I think the experience that comes most to mind for me is is a really, really hard experience that I've written and spoken about over the years. And that has to do with my three deep dives into clinical depression during my adult life. And what's, uh, what's significant about that to me is that when you're, when you're deep in depression, as many people know, it's impossible to feel hope. Um, you know, a synonym for depression, I think, is hopelessness. Um, it's impossible to feel hope as an attitude when one is living underground, as I was for many, many months. Mm-hmm. And and I I have a vivid memory uh, because it's a it's something that I continue to do to this day, a vivid memory of working with a therapist who who counseled me to keep a journal of tiny achievements. Um, at first, I didn't know what he mean, but he gave a few examples. He said, if you, if you get up in the morning at 11 o'clock because you just can't get out of bed, then put that down in your journal. On, on uh, Thursday, July 19th, I I got out of bed at 11 a.m. Mm, yeah. If you get up the next morning at 10.45, put that in your journal and count it as a tiny achievement. 
uh, if you were able on the 19th to get out and ride your bike for five minutes and on the 20th you you can ride your bike for seven or eight or nine minutes put that down and again count it as a tiny achievement i think you know the takeaway lesson uh, for, for me from from that from that practice which which did indeed start to show me that that i was i was getting stronger that i was able to do just a little more each day some some days i'd fall back but the the overall line was was moving upward i think the takeaway lesson was that hope lies not in my attitude but in my actions uh-huh. um and yeah. in in learning to value small achievements which i continue to do to this day, even uh, though I'm not I'm not depressed, um, I remember a long time ago someone said to me, "You don't think your way into a new way of living. You you live your way into a new way of thinking." And I think you you live it one small step at a time uh, through through actions that are sometimes not accompanied by uh, an attitude of of hope. So it's 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 almost literally like you're you're walking uh, from hopelessness into hope simply by putting one one foot in front of the other. Um, but Carrie, let me ask you the same question: How does your experience lead you to respond to this business of of holding the tension between hope and hopelessness? Well, first I want to say thank you for what you you just spoke about. I, I think the fact that you've been so open uh, about your own journey with depression has been you know, so important for so many people, um, including myself. So today the question is kind of giving me pause to reflect about the language of hope. Um, the way you said you live your way into a new way of thinking you know, you don't think your way into a new way of living, you live your way into a new way of thinking. And, um, and that's about action. You know, that's about taking daily action. You know, for me, you know, hope uh, has never been like a Hallmark card. You know, mm. it, it, it doesn't come to me, you know, on gossamer wings. It's not about positive thinking or wishful thinking. You know, hope is actually daily and sometimes pretty gritty. And it's faithful. Uh, I, for me, I, I think of hope as a decision to show up in the world each day uh, and take that small step that you're talking about. Um, and that hope, you know, is also risky. You know, that whenever you choose to hope like that, when you get up the morning and you try again to make the world you know, just a little kinder place, you know, in your own way. And then the next morning you get up and you do it again. You take the risk that someday you will wake up and your heart will be broken. Um, and then you get up and you do it again. Hmm. Um, it's an it's a intention, an action to continue to, uh, to show up uh, each day with a gritty kind of hope. Um, and in some ways, you know, I find that, you know, really encouraging that that it is about action, that it is about a daily uh, encounter with hope. Um, you know, we have a colleague, the wonderful Greg Ellison, who writes really powerfully about uh, something he calls the three-foot challenge, three-feet challenge. And 
uh, he talks about it, I think, in his new book, Fearless Dialogues, um, that I can't change the whole world, but I can change what's three feet around me. You know, I have tremendous power in how I choose to live my daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that brings it to um, you know something that's more human-sized, that's something that's very daily and very possible, absolutely possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love I love what Greg Ellison does with with that, and and people should go out and get his book Fearless Dialogues, yeah, because it's not only a book; it's a it's a program uh, that he uses around issues of racial equity, racial justice, and racial interracial and interreligious relationships. And and I I love what you said about hope not being a a, a hallmark card virtue, uh, but rather uh, hopeful actions, which you may not feel, but but you take. It's it's kind of like the notion that love is not a a hallmark card virtue. It's it's the doing of the thing. It's it's an action that we take in relation to other people and in in relation to the world. Absolutely. Um, we've been talking thus far, Carrie, about about um, uh, hope as a, a personal issue or an issue around personal problems. Um, I'd like to take a next step by suggesting that hope of, of the sort we've been talking about also has strong parallels in the social and political world. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a world or those are worlds, which many of us find very vexing these days. I, I remember, I don't know, 15 years ago being inspired by hearing an interview that Wendell Berry, the, the great novelist, poet, and essayist, uh, uh, did on stage, um, where he was talking about ecological ruin and all of the environmental problems that are degrading not only the earth, but our lives. And toward the end of this very uh, deep-reaching and challenging interview, uh, the interviewer uh, asked Wendell Berry, in effect, he said, okay, what's, what's the solution? You know, you've, you've laid out the problem eloquently. What's the solution? And w- Wendell Berry said, I think what you're asking for is one big solution to one big problem, but there has never been such a thing in the whole course of human history. Mm-hmm. He said, the only, the only solution ever to one big problem has been a million, million little solutions. Um, mm. I think that's true. I find hope in that in the first place because it means that my little actions can add to the total count of hope in the, in the world. And, and when I look at history, I just think it's a simple on-the-ground fact that you know nothing, nothing big has ever been achieved, as, as my sister used to say, in one swell foop. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> you, you don't do it, uh, you know, one thing at a time. You, you do it with a million, million little things at a, at a time. I sometimes hear people say, little actions are fine, you know, they're very nice and all that, but what we really need is systemic reform. And it's certainly true that we need systemic reform in in almost every area of our 
of our common life. But I simply don't know of any systemic reform that wasn't achieved through a lot of little actions over a long period of time. If you look at what happened in the mid-60s in the United States with the civil rights movement, the nonviolent civil rights movement, it achieved a degree of systemic reform, which you know we're still fighting for and which in which we're still getting setbacks and we have to get up and take the next step forward. But the the civil rights movement of the mid-60s didn't just happen in the 50s and 60s. It happened over generations of enslaved human beings holding hope and passing that hope uh, on to their descendants so that those young people who marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in, in Selma uh, on what's known as, as Bloody Sunday, uh, which resulted eventually in the passage of the, of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, uh, those, those young people were, had grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-great-grandparents and, and all the way back, uh, people who were enslaved and, and, and had all kinds of reasons to be hopeless and just to give up, but they didn't, and they passed their hope on to, to their descendants. Um, so I, I think that it's not only in our personal lives, I think it's not only me um, laid low by clinical depression and learning the importance of keeping a journal of small achievements, which, I, as I said, I, I carry on to this day. I, I no longer look for you know the the big the big successes because there aren't that many of them, but I value the small achievements that I'm able to uh, get to every day. Whether that's kindness toward an individual with whom I you know feel some animosity or uh, taking care of a child uh, who's in trouble for the moment, having lost his mother in a in a department store whatever it may be, I, I, I take those little achievements seriously and they, they encourage me. It's also true of much larger social movements. And uh, I, I, think, I, think, I sometimes think that when we say systemic reform is the only thing that counts, we're really looking for a way out of our responsibility to engage in actions that might lead to systemic reform every day. It, it's so easy to talk about change in the abstract, but not to bring it to ground in our, in our, in our own lives. That, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. And, and uh, I, I, do, I do love what Wendell Berry had to say, that it's not going to be one big solution to one big problem. It's a million, million small ones. And um, yeah, that most powerful and long-lasting positive change has happened personally, individually, on on the human scale. Um, you know, combined with the power of the gathered community. Mm. Um, and I think that's I think that's really important. You know, one of the things that that I I have to pay attention to is when I'm feeling overwhelmed or fed up or immobilized by um, the the sorrows or you know 
some of the the huge issues that that are facing uh, facing us on the large scale, on the macro as well as you know our personal. I have to I have to always bring it back to something more human sized. Mm. Um, that you know, three feet around us, as as Greg Ellison speaks, um, on the human size, I have tremendous power. Um, and my small actions contribute to that million, million daily actions that create positive change. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think, I think too, when I bring it to the human size, it, it also gives a sort of, um, I don't know, on, honorableness to what I do every day. Mm. That it does matter uh, what I put into the world that the things that have saved us individually and as a community that have always saved us are still here to save us. They, you know, the ideas of hospitality and generosity and faithfulness and good parenting, kindness, a little bit of human kindness can change someone's entire day. Hmm. A sense of humor, you know, a sense of humor. I, all these things are here and they're daily, and they're completely accessible to me. So I, th- I think often when I, when I do get to feeling overwhelmed by some of the larger problems that are facing us, is to bring it back home. You know, what can I do today? You know, what is my small step forward? And it may be something that looks very simple from the outside, but it, it means not just something, it kind of means everything. Yeah, thank you. I I, um, I I feel the same way about a sense of humor. I think it's so critical. I, I I love, for example, to be talking with some of my Buddhist <clears throat> Buddhist friends about these things. And when I'm sort of down and out about something, they say, "Remember, Parker, everything changes. Everything changes." And I love to look at them and say, yes, everything changes, except you telling me that everything changes. That happens all the time. <laughs> so, so, and there's, there's, you know, and, and they laugh and I laugh. And there's something in that levity that lifts, literally lifts us out of the funk we're in and allows us to take a next step toward engagement. You know, Carrie, I'd, I'd like to return to an earlier point in the conversation where you said hmm. some things about risk-taking and heartbreak that uh, really have stayed with me. Uh, could you sure. could you say a bit more about, about that, about how living in the way we're talking about here between hope and hopelessness uh, and, and the, the, the decisions and actions that come out of it um, are risk-taking and how they almost inevitably or, I guess, inevitably lead to heartbreak? Well, um, that's a great question to come back to, I think, um, because, you know, this, you know, this process we're talking about of living with hope, um, you know, it, it, it does involve a certain kind of risk that... Um, you know, so often you, you know, I'll, I've put my, my hope in, into something, into an idea, into a project, and it doesn't pan out the way I'd hoped it would. And, you know. Hardly ever does, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's kind of true. Um, and it, 
you know, that idea of heartbreak, there's something you talk about in uh, Healing the Heart of Democracy, uh, which is such a wonderful book, about the idea of the broken open heart, that, you know, when something difficult happens, when we're disappointed or we face a tragedy, um, when hope uh, is dashed in one way or another, um, that our hearts break. And, you know, the choice we have is that, you know, our hearts can break apart into a million shards, or they can break open. And the first time I I heard you talk about that, I was really taken by the idea of the broken open heart, that uh, when I've experienced that, that broken open heart, you know, I I come back to the world uh, with a greater sense of empathy, uh, a greater sense of connectedness in a way, um, because it's happened to all mm. of us in one way or another, that we mm-hmm. make that choice. Do I break apart mm-hmm. or do mm-hmm. I break open? And as you know, I mean, I know you share this view too, <clears throat> that's really not wishful thinking because we, we, see, we see what you were just talking about in real lives of ordinary people around us all the time. Uh, on my next birthday in February of 2019, I'll be 80 years old. Uh, that's hard to believe, but that's another subject. Um, <laughs> but I, at, at, at my age, I I know a lot of people who have lost the dearest person in their lives to death. Partners and spouses and dear friends and on and on. And of course, they go into, we go into uh, a dark night of, of the soul, of, of underground grief, of, of really feeling that life will never be meaningful again or barely livable again. And yet so many of these people slowly, slowly uh, emerge from that underground period of grief into an awareness that their hearts have actually become larger, more capacious, uh, more forgiving, more accepting, more welcoming of other people and of of the world, not in spite of their loss, but because of their loss. It's as if their loss had stretched their hearts open. Um, And of course, I I think there's a difference between a life lived with a brittle heart which has never been exercised by embracing the hard parts of experience, um, and 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 lives with a supple heart, which have been a heart mm-hmm. that's been exercised by embracing yes. all those little deaths, as people have have called them: the death of a dream, the death of a of a friendship, the death of a job. Um, mm-hmm. they're not little when they happen, but compared to the ultimate death, they are. And they they give us an opportunity to, to exercise our hearts and, and yes. um, al- allow them to become more supple. And I, you know, and, and that kind of points to something. Um, uh, we did a co-written piece for On Being uh, for their, their blog site uh, about the growing edge. And one of the topics that we explored in that piece was the idea of of endings, that endings are also beginnings, that part of the growing edge 
part of this idea of hope is reaching a point where where something has ended that are and and that may be accompanied with a heartbreak or it may be mm-hmm. um accompanied with a sense of loss uh, a sense of hopelessness uh perhaps but at the same time you know when you're out there um on the growing edge deciding whether my heart will break apart or break open um that becomes the point of arrival um mm-hmm. that becomes a place to start again and mm-hmm. and uh i have a poem i have a poem called the point of arrival um i could go ahead and read it if you want oh please do it's called the point of arrival at first it felt like a bitter pill a rubber band stretched until it snapped sitting cross-legged on the floor, looking at my empty hands, wondering what would become of me now that there was nothing else but surrender. First, we fold in, and then we open out. Acceptance is a kind of ending, and still it is the point of arrival. This is where I lay down, what can no longer be carried. This is when I see my hands, which at first felt so empty, are filled with hallelujah. Mm. Mm. I love that poem. I didn't know you were going to read it on this podcast, but I'm awfully glad you did. It took me time in my life to figure out that endings are also beginnings, because an an ending just feels like an ending. It's over. It's gone. It's uh-huh. dead. And and yeah. I'm I'm half halfway over, halfway gone, halfway dead myself. But it's absolutely true in in my journey, and I know in yours, that every ending has opened up into something new, and you've learned from whatever it was that ended, um, wh- whatever the cause of the ending may have been. You've you've learned something about. What's life-giving for you and what it is that you want to turn toward next? Yes, it's transformational. I, I do want to note that uh, you know, as we read the wonderful conversation comments uh, on the, the page that, that came out of that first question of the month, uh, there was one that, that really, really touched me uh, by a fellow named Jeff Albert. And he wrote... Oh, yes, right. Yeah, I love the term growing edge because it doesn't shame not knowing. It affirms transformation. Mm-hmm. And I really loved that, that that when we reach those endings and we're looking at a beginning and we're not really sure how hope is going to pan out, how it's going to look tomorrow or the next day. You know, it it doesn't shame us for not knowing exactly what it's going to look like next. Uh, it affirms mm. that we are transforming, that our hearts are breaking open, that if I take this step and then the next, that transformation continues and, and, and opens up for me. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, I, like you, I, I loved the comment that Jeff Albert left on that page um, and it, it flipped me back to times in my younger life where I was ashamed of, first of all, of, of being in a, 
in a tight spot, being at a dead end, you know, standing there with a closed door in front of me and knocking and knocking and knocking and nobody's answering, let alone Mm. letting me in. And it, 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 I, I was ashamed of being there, and then I was ashamed of not knowing what to do. Um, and as long as I was, you know, ashamed of not knowing and, and kept knocking on that door as if, you know, surely this will reopen for me, um, I, w- I, cu- I couldn't even approach transformation, to use the other word that, that Jeff Albert used, I, I remember a moment when a <clears throat> fine teacher said to me, well, Parker, if if you just turn around from the closed door that won't open to you and look around the world, you'll find a million hmm. doors that might, you know, yeah, that are, yeah. And, and some that in fact stand open. It's such a simple learning, but that image, I think, gave me a way to say, okay, I need to leave that behind me without shame, without guilt. And I don't know where I'm going, but that's just the way life is. Um, to, <laughs> yeah. you know, to, quote, to quote some of my favorite words, which I love to speak to people just as they've been spoken to me, welcome to the human race. You don't know where you're where you're going? What else is new? You know, do you have anything? Is there anything you can tell me that will shock me? I doubt it. Um, well, and that's and it, that's always the pathway to transformation. Well, and it's interesting. I, I'm thinking about a time period in my in my musical life uh, as a as a songwriter and an artist, and you know I, I was you know many years into it, and I hit this kind of um, malaise, this kind of dead end, and. Uh, I knew I was swimming in the water. Okay, music. Ah, music is something that that uh, is so uh, elemental to me. It's like breathing. To to not sing, to not make music, would be to say stop breathing now, Carrie. So I was I was hmm. swimming in the water, hmm. and I knew I needed to be in the water. But it always felt like I was swimming against the current, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and what I really needed to do was was make this shift to make this um, kind of transformational shift that I was swimming in the water, but it was time for me to stop, you know, following music as, as a career, as a business, even though it was always part of my heart, but I needed to start not following the business of music, but following what the songs were actually about. You know, mm-hmm. I was writing about uh, transformation. I was writing about hope and hopelessness. I was I was writing about how amazing people are. You know that we, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I'm just so fast. I think both of us share this that we're just so taken with people that, you know, they're amazing and they're they're inspiring and they're humbling and they're um, bewildering and they're disappointing sometimes. And but that. You know, you and they're funny. Oh my gosh! You know, we're all just so funny as human beings. So, you know, this idea that you know to follow what the songs were about, and with mm. that sense of um, delight and kindness and curiosity about myself as a human being and and the other human beings around me, how we connect, yes. how we connect to yeah, something absolutely. larger. 
Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. A- absolutely. So, yeah. So it's yeah. So it's a little bit about. You know, it was a, it was an ending, uh, and yet it was a, a really a, a really new beginning. Well, it takes me, Carrie, right back to your earlier line and a line that's in one of your wonderful songs, the the things that have saved us are, are still here to save us. And of course, one of those things is human beings, the, the miracle of a, of a friend or the kindness of a stranger. Um, these, are, these are things we need to keep our eyes open for uh, in times of hopelessness because those possibilities are all around yeah. us, and uh, so much depends on whether we, we are open to seeing them and to responding to them. You know, um, I think we're nearing the growing edge of the end of this podcast. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I, think we, I think we are. Though I've known you and I to like talk about such things for way longer than you would think people could talk about (laughs) these kinds of topics so yeah um, well we don't want to overstay our welcome with the good folks on our page so so i have a a kind of a a kind of closing question to ask you Um, Mm -hmm. for you what are a couple of takeaways from this conversation takeaways oh that's 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 a wonderful question what are what are my couple of takeaways here and 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 i would say one is that hope is an action that it's not just mm. uh, an attitude that uh, it's a daily personal um action that we take each day even when we're not feeling hopeful that we can act in a manner of hopefulness um i would say uh, another takeaway is is um bringing it to human size you know your comments about uh, Wendell Berry and the million million solutions um and that at the human size at the you know that's where we have so much power and so much ability and and um you know and hope and hopeful action is completely accessible to us how about mm-hmm. how about you what what what's a couple take- takeaways for you today well one of the things i I've always loved about our conversations, which are are now going uh, into their tenth year, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, is is the way uh, we we both sort of move with ease from the personal to the social and political. Uh, I've never seen those, and I'm sure you. I know you haven't either, as two separate realms, and I think there's so much to be learned from the way we hold hope and hopelessness in our personal lives that is transferable to the way we hold it, hold those oh, two yeah. in our Absolutely. social and political lives. So I, <clears throat> I take heart in this uh, rather challenging political time we live in that we really know some things from personal experience, such, such as how to, how to let heartbreak open us to something new rather than shut us down um, I, uh, that we take such a thing from our personal experience into the political realm. And then one other thing is um, I, I'm really struck once again, not for the first time, by your notion that that the things that have saved us are still here to save us. And um, I need to remind myself of that 
I need to write a memo to myself, something I do frequently. <laughs> and I say, Parker, just you know, remember to keep your eyes open. Um, remember to you know listen to some of Carrie's music, or as my wife Sharon sometimes says, why don't you go back and read one of your own books because you you, <laughs> you, you, you seem to know the answer there. Why are you not Why are you not remembering it now? So the, the, the things that have saved us are still here to save us. As we close out, I want to invite everyone who follows the Growing Edge site to respond on our conversation page with with your takeaways from this podcast and uh, your own responses to the question of the month for August. And again, this month we're asking, as we look toward our growing edges, especially in hard times, many of us find ourselves torn between hope and hopelessness. How do you understand hope? What have you learned about holding to hope even when things seem hopeless? Or do you agree with folks who say that hope can be an obstacle to dealing with the present moment. You've been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out the next episode. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com. That's newcomerpalmer.com. So you can join in the conversation too. And now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and to bring more voices into this conversation. Much gratitude to our friend and colleague, Gary Walters, for performing his song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation to Alison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, and production. <laughs>